Top Chat with Hal Sinjin from the band Uberfuse. Thank you very, very much, Hal, for coming this evening and giving of your time to talk to us, or rather chat, I hope. And you're very recently back from World Youth Day Madrid, where with Cherry Anderson and Uberfuse, you were one of the winners of the Madrid Mayan Canta. Was that what you hoped it would be? Yes, it was everything we hoped it would be and, and even more because as winners of the competition we were asked to play at the welcoming ceremony the first day of the Pope's visit to the gathering of youth. So we knew that we would be playing Faith in You which, which is a slow, reflective, contemplative song taking the theme of World Youth Day firm in the faith and reflecting on it musically and lyrically. So we were well aware that we would be having to perform that. So it was a great honour and a great, um, well, quite nerve-wracking, to be honest, <laughs> to stand on the stage in front of two million people, even though they were just specks on the horizon. But, yeah, we played the song and it went went down very well. The surprising element was when we were backstage with the other winners who were waiting to go on and play their songs. When everyone had finished playing, they then, to get the crowd worked up and warmed up and feeling enthusiastic. What, ahead of the Pope coming? Yeah, ahead of the Pope they just started playing other music and we'd submitted a second song later on in the competition called Unshakable because we we studied the rules carefully and they used the words festive and we felt that perhaps Faith in You, which was the first song, which was the one that won, was less festive, more reflective. So we thought, okay, we'll, we'll produce another song which is a bit more upbeat and would fit into a fiesta situation. Um, but it didn't win the competition, so we just thought, OK, fine, that's the end of that, in terms of that song. So we were waiting backstage, and then all of a sudden, it comes blaring out on this monster PA system. You've never seen a PA system like it in your life. Literally incredible. So you had no warning of it? No, absolutely no warning whatsoever. And the PA system, what, because it was all outside, and it was the centre of Madrid, that was in front of the cathedral, was it? It was in Sibylla Square, which I suppose, if you know London, probably the nearest equivalent would be Trafalgar Square. So you had a huge stage erected with an incredibly beautiful backdrop of this ancient, uh, like a palace. Oh, you know what? I don't think I realised that was a backdrop. I thought that was something to do with Madrid. I thought, wow, I didn't remember seeing that. <laughs> but it was, it, it was <laughs> that a... would explain it. That's why I didn't see it when I was in Madrid. <laughs> Yeah, it was very cleverly positioned, the stage. So when you looked at the stage, it was framed by this beautifully constructed building, which was illuminated in a very tasteful way. It suddenly over the loudspeakers, there it was. But people were streets and streets and streets away. Well, this is what I'm going to say. If you can imagine Trafalgar Square, but you can imagine Pall Mall, all the streets cascading off the square. Yeah. This is how it was. You had the stage, and then you had all of these tributary streets feeding into it. And they all were lined with just, in innumerable people who were being fed images from the stage and also sounds on this monster sound system. So it was just resounding basically around <laughs> around the whole of central Madrid. But it was an amazingly rich sound. It wasn't just a vocal PA for people to speak. It was designed for music. So you got all the, the rich sounds of the bass notes and things blaring out across the square. And the crowd, <laughs> crowd dancing, clapping, waving their flags. And we were looking out thinking, oh my God, this is just so amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. But they played it not just once, twice, three times, it was four or five times. Because obviously the build-up for the Pope's actual arrival took... Longer than it was meant to. Yeah. So 
it was <laughs> it was a breathtaking I'm sure experience. it was a gift for all that hard work when I watched your video for Faith in You I felt like I was an insider I thought I know where that was from because <laughs> I'm not sure many people around the world would know but it, you went to Walsingham we did we went to Walsingham and we felt that okay if we're going to enter a, an international global song contest we should depict what is the, the kind of beating heart of the Catholic community in terms of its place of prayer and the shrine in the UK so we thought that Walsingham is the national shrine for Catholics in the UK so that's why we went there and filmed images of the Slipper Chapel and the Rosary Garden and the, the stream flowing through Walsingham Village because we use the image of the stream feeding the tree which is used in the Pope's yeah. description of how God's word nourishes us and sustains us and gives us stature and strength to withstand the elements and whatever. I thought it was a beautiful metaphor, and in fact more than a metaphor, especially because Benedict is so aware of how in Europe we're losing our identity and it's because we're ignoring our Christian roots. I mean, even as a Catholic, I'm pretty ignorant on Walsingham. I'm only learning about it more and more now. But it was one of the main pilgrimage shrines in the whole of Europe. I mean, oh. it was big time, huge, for a long, long while. So I think sort of our identity in Europe, it linked up very well with what he was trying to get across in, in Spain, I thought. Yes, and added to that, you can also see the trajectory of the Catholic community in the UK looking at the buildings in Walsingham. So you have the monastic ruins, which tells you of the time when Catholicism was persecuted and the Catholic community was driven underground. And then latterly, since the Restoration, it, the Catholic Church becomes more visible. You can see that historic development if you walk through Walsingham. It's a good way of portraying the history of the Catholic community in the UK. I've recently had a talk given by an Anglican priest who's joined the new Ordinariate, and it's the Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham. So there's that link there that it's understood that she's important. And the thing I hadn't picked up on was that the Slipper Chapel... It was land that was bought by an Anglican woman who was very much moved along on her path of faith by Cardinal Newman when he in part of the Oxford movement. Oh. So she was an Anglican when she bought the Slipper Chapel, meaning to do it up for the Anglicans, and then she converted and became a Catholic. So that's how oh. we were given a foothold in, in Walsingham anyway, and I, I find the, the closeness between the Anglican and the Catholic Church there a great sign of hope. Yeah. But... Um, yeah. So it's a hopeful image. Yeah. So after you'd done your moment of thrill and glory, did you get to meet the Pope? No. No. No, we didn't. You were then one of the masses for the rest of the... We were just one of the two million... It was that many, was it? Because well, it almost not hit the media at all over here. You could say any number and no one would know. Well, the figures banded around like 1.5 to 2 million, but it certainly felt... when You got a sense of the scale of the crowd at Cuatro Vientos, this disused air base where the vigil mass was held. You got a sense of the number of people. It was just, it, it was like, I don't know, the, the Israelites, the movement of the Israelites from, from Egypt. And even though, because I've come across quite a lot of people who went, and then it sounded like it was slightly chaotic, and then there was a huge storm, and people had tickets but weren't allowed in, but then, then everything opened up because the storm was happening, and then a whole lot of people got scared because of the storm, and so turned around and went back. So I don't think it was even every. I don't even think everyone that was in Madrid was actually at the vigil. 
It's quite possible, because up until the time it rained, it was a scorching hot day. It was like 38 to 40 degrees. And you add to that, when you're in a crowd of two, well, however many people, the body heat of all those people, it became incredible. They were hosing people down, weren't they? Yeah, they, they, were, they, they were literally hosing people, <laughs> people down, which at the time was a blessing, but then when it started to rain, it was like, oh dear, everything's already wet. So, you know, you were then faced with having to sleep in wet sleeping bags and it wasn't comfortable but we weren't there to be living in the lap of luxury it was meant to be a a vigil <laughs> I think the, the Pope actually congratulated everyone for sacrificing their comfort for the sake of the Eucharistic adoration and the Mass the following day I actually know the answers I, I should own up to it you did mention what your highlight was of the World Youth Day it wasn't actually on stage no the highlight the highlight was the Eucharistic adoration. I mean, once we got over the trauma of the storm and the lightning bolt, which paralysed... I've seen the photograph of it. It's incredible. That didn't the whole sound system go down? Well, it, it, it was. I mean, it was almost like an act of of the Almighty. That you, 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 the sequence of events was: you had four young people standing up on the stage, addressing questions to the Pope. The idea being that he would then take all of their questions in a single response. So he received all of the questions. He then was about to give his answer, sat on his throne, when all of a sudden... No way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is the timing of it. There was an almighty... There's, sorry, there's no way that is anything but providential. I mean, the Pope has been known to say that God communicates most effectively through silence. So perhaps... Um, That's what we were all being led to. Yeah, so after you had that flash of lightning, what happened then? Well, like you say, there was a sense of mounting fear. You know, you didn't quite know whether it was going to get worse, because if it did get worse, then there would have been, an, I think it would have been a stampede. You can imagine the situation. You're, you're in this field, it's, it's pitch black. You're watch- All the lights are gone. Well, you're, mo- you're watching a monitor screen, listening to the events unfolding on a stage which is so far away from you. All of a sudden... There's a crash of lightning, it starts raining, and everything is out that you can't hear anything, you can't see anything. And you think, oh, that's very isolating. You think, gosh, what's going to happen next? Uh, my, my instinct was to get out of the crowd and just to walk. You know, I wanted to be moving. And so I walked away from the crowds to see that the tent that had been holding the Eucharists, which were going to be distributed, had been lifted up in the winds. And when it had settled back down, it had fallen apart. And I don't know if anyone was injured, but there were ambulances and all kinds of stuff going on. But, you know, maybe I've over-dramatised it, because after half an hour, the power came back on, the sound systems were resurrected, and the Pope... Um, so what t- happened during that half hour? Well, it was just, it was just silence. So it was, it was... And was there adoration happening at this stage? Well, no. Th- as I say, it was like the point in the proceedings was... The Pope had been given four questions by four young people and he was about to answer them. And you'd heard the questions? Yes, you'd heard the questions. So you were left dwelling on the questions? Yes. The one that stuck in my mind was, how do we as young Catholics uphold excellence in our various fields where we work without compromising our Christian beliefs? I was itching to hear the answer to that. All I got was a flash of lightning. But fortunately, the Catholic Herald had printed his response, which he didn't read out, but is available on the internet. So, yeah, it was it was it was an amazing experience. Now you're back. 
has it given you a renewed sense of energy or enthusiasm for what you and Sherry are getting up to with Uberfuse, or does it leave you slightly, oh, what's next, when there's something obvious to work towards? It's always hard the next stage. Yeah, I mean, we've been greeted in a way that we haven't been greeted necessarily by the Spanish Catholic community. They seem to get the concept of using contemporary music in a spiritual domain in a way that perhaps other European countries haven't yet discovered. There is a tendency, I think, in the UK to be a little bit suspicious of that kind of experiment where you're taking contemporary pop culture and trying to use it as a medium to convey... Um, what is the idea, really, that anything anything like that is neither good nor bad? It depends what you do with it as to what it is. But um, maybe any, some people listening won't know anything at all about how Madrid set it up. I thought it was very, very clever the way they did it. They had this... It was an open competition, and anyone could enter, and it was called Madrid Me Encanta, which is, I'm singing for Madrid, or... So. It's something like that. Yeah, it's a and uh, they must have sort of just checked it to see if it was sort of, make sure it wasn't dodgy, and then it went up on the website, and then anyone and everyone could vote. Yeah. And I think you could do as many votes, well, you could do one vote a day or something like that. Yeah. But they did it so that it was the number of votes per day, so you could enter late, but you could still win. Yeah, they did some clever mathematical calculation. Where so they got it down to the last 25 or something, and then it was a bit like Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. They gave they gave <laughs> us, the general public, a certain amount of... And then they took it over. And so so you got down to the last 25, and then there were the... To be honest with you, the rules that were up there on the website weren't the rules which were complied with. But I've been told that that's a very um, Spanish-Italian way of... You know, we Anglo-Saxons take the rules. We stand in queues. <laughs> yeah, we stand in queues and we take the rules very literally. Apparently in Spain, <laughs> you know, a rule is just there to guide you on a particular day. It can be changed tomorrow. And I like a little bit of fluidity. <laughs> but it meant that you got there anyway. Yeah, we got there. We got some kind of recognition. And we were the only English song that got accepted. There was another English-speaking song from Nepal, which was a great song, a great track. Daryl... Darrelson, I can't remember his name, but we met. We were chatting to him a lot backstage. He was as surprised as anybody else because he said the rules kept changing. I had no idea that. I his was story was amazing because maybe some of the people who did it weren't generally musicians and they just made up a song because it was World Youth Day. And I think one of them was quite a sort of rock song, and the picture on the website made it look like they were nuns. Yeah, and no, you no, couldn't they actually were. Believe, oh, they were they really, were really, nuns. They yeah, really were nuns. They're called Sigele, which means follow me. And it was on St. Michael, was it? Yeah, we met them backstage. They were genuine, proper, authentic, real nuns. And love, I mean, they glowed with, with holiness. There was one in particular who you just wanted to go and hug her. She was so just so shining with... with um, joy. Joy and the, kind of, the best kind of things that you associate with the religious life. But that was nothing sissy about it at all. Not because at all. No, the, no, the, no, the infuriating no. thing is, as soon as something's termed sort of Christian music, you think um, dweeby, wishy washy, and and certainly not cool. No, I mean, the, 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 their guitarist was a priest who backstage was puffing away like Bob Dylan <laughs> in his clerical. I was trying to get for this for the World These Days podcast I've got going now, I'm trying to get all the songs at one. And it's interesting how easy or difficult it is to get hold of people. So I have actually communicated with Daryl, even in Nepal, thanks to SoundCloud. The story with him, I think, he didn't even know about it until two weeks before the competition ended. And then thought, there's no way I can get anywhere when I've only got two weeks. 
And then one of the priests in his parish group wrote some songs that day and sent them to him to try and encourage him to write something. So that's what gave him the impetus. And then he wrote the song, I think, the next day. So 24 hours of having heard it, he yeah, sent it through and then... He, yeah, he got the lyrics from the priest. He wrote a song quickly and then he had a friend who had a studio and he went quickly and recorded it. And then within 24 hours, i.e. Uh, there was a day left before the competition deadline closed to receive it. So he got it in just on the last day. And then there was a month where people could vote. So he had a month of people voting. I mean, to be fair to him, forget the rules. And what, what, he's what got a great the, the, voice. He's got a great voice and it was a great song and it deserved to win, I think. Uh. <laughs> so did you switch emails with everyone? I mean, was everyone was yeah, quite chummy-chummy? Chummy? You're yeah, all great we're, friends. We're all thinking of oh, doing I'm going to have to use my contact with you then to get through to all these guys. Then. Yeah, we're, we're thinking of doing some kind of collaboration where we'd put out a collective album of we all do a couple of tracks and maybe do That's one, a really one good together. Idea. Yeah. One together? Yeah. Oh, what you know, fun! Like, like Feed the World, but <laughs> Catholic, <laughs> Catholic artists from around the world. Yeah. And maybe... I think I need an insider in the Vatican, I think, now. I've got to that stage. And then you could, it could be performed on Palm Sunday. Yeah. Because that's where it'll be next year, World Youth Day. Is it on Palm Sunday? It it's uh, every year when it's not an international one, it's on Palm Sunday, which is the beauty of it. Because it, it originally, it was back in 84 that John Paul II, it was the International Year for Youth, something the UN had started. Yeah. And that was when he gave the cross to young people. Palm Sunday is when you have the whole of Christ's passion read and you actually have I, I always think gosh what are we doing hearing about his death now when we haven't got there but mm. you're given all of that on Palm Sunday and I think it's very beautiful that was the day that he chose particularly for young people and that was when the cross was given so the World Youth Day message is every year for Palm Sunday but I think because of how where it is in the academic year it doesn't make sense to have it then mm. as a sort of get together so there's always a bit of both so they do that every year, but then they also, every two years, they have this big gathering. It was every two years to start with, yeah. up until 97, which was in Paris. It was then three years to hit the Jubilee, yeah. and then it was two years again to Toronto, and then they did three years to Cologne. And I don't know if it was because JP2 was so poorly by then, but that was part of the wonderfulness of it all, I think, mm. is that Pope Benedict's first trip abroad as Pope was to his homeland for a World Youth Day, yeah. and that was all worked out beforehand. And then it was three years till Sydney, and then three years till Spain. Oh. But it makes it a big, long gap, because if you can only get to Europe, or you can only get somewhere else. And I think, too, the difference in the languages. So if it can be a long time before your language comes around again. So I think hitting it back down to every two years, to me, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the language thing was... Yeah, I didn't really. You assume that everybody speaks English, but they really don't. <laughs> I know it's a terrible thing to say. But, yeah, you know, it is sort of. Well, you can assume that quite a lot of people speak Spanish. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I speak a bit of Spanish, so I could get my way through it. But if you didn't have any Spanish, there were moments when there was just you were paralysed because a lot of the organisers didn't speak English and had no intention of trying to speak English. Okay. Yeah, this is a Spanish. I might be editing some of this. All right. <laughs> oh, no, you can edit a bit about the, the, the Pope in the storm. So, do you have any gigs lined up for London? Yeah, well, we've been, oddly enough, we've been asked to play in Brazil by a band who were going to come to World Youth Day, but they didn't end up coming. But they love what we're doing, i.e. electro pop, 
which is not... Graves Costa, you can warm up for Brazil, well, well, this Rio is de Janeiro really yeah. 20. Did yeah. they get in touch with you before? No, no, no about two days ago, we got, we, days. on Twitter they said, um, we, we've got this big event happening in November this year in Brazil. We'd really love you to close the show. Close uh, the show? <laughs> I'm going to touch you! <laughs> So we're we're well we're, done. They know how to party. They know what music is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. But, yeah, but it's it's uh, yeah, like you say, it's a great way to prepare for World Tuesday 2013, which is in Rio de Janeiro. Cherry was actually a little bit of a well-known number in the Philippines. She was a child singer or something. Is that? Yeah, her mother took her to vocal lessons from an early age because she was active in the church's music ministry from an early age. So she's not unaccustomed to standing on a stage in a big stadium and singing in front of lots of people. But the Philippines have picked up on it quite well, haven't they? Philippines, yeah. We've got a regular invitation there to play at Easter time in what's this equivalent of Wembley Arena. It's an indoor sports stadium that houses 20 to 30,000 people. And it, and well, they've had the biggest ever World Youth Day. I mean, it's in the Guinness Book of Records, over 5 million, with JP2 and Manila in 95. I know, it's astonishing. It's, you, it's phenomenal. But th- that, that's the one impression you get when you go to the Philippines, is how devout not just one or two people are, but 95% of the population. They're not ashamed to be overtly Catholic. And I think that... That accounts for why when the Pope came for World Youth Day, he was... He it was, was very joyful. It was a real public affirmation of the joy of it all. I mean, just yeah. the numbers in the streets and everything. You didn't get a sense of a sort of conflict going on within society about what's this man doing here. Hmm. They are an amazingly strong witness to the Catholic Church as a nation. They recently voted against the Human Reproductive Bill, which was trying to introduce contraception and abortion efficiency and all those kinds of things which you know we here in the pro-life movement struggle to deal with because the legislation here is enacted whereas in the Philippines they won't allow it to be enacted in the first place. I mean it's an amazingly strong witness in this day and age to be able to stand up to the yeah. forces that are behind these. And I think the overthrow of Marcos and Imelda with all her shoes that was prayer-led entirely yeah. prayer-led. I think cardinal sin had a lot to do with that. Yes, definitely. I think the church has always been... Uh, if, if, you, if you're a politician, you don't have the backing of the Catholic community, you'd have to stand no chance. So they like your music over there? They love it. They, they Well, because they... You know, in the, in the UK, to, to take the pop medium and to infuse it with your faith beliefs is a bit strange and a bit weird and not many people really get it. But in the Philippines... They've got it. They really get it. And how about America? America really get it. We were asked to play on EWTN, which is Eternal Word TV Network. It's a huge audience. We were asked to play at their live one-hour broadcast from Madrid. Oh, brilliant. And was that because they'd heard you on the Thursday, or had they picked up on you before then? Well, they'd found out that we were the only English-speaking oh, okay. band to have won or to have a song that had been selected as, as a winning song in the Madrid Main Cantor competition. So they asked us to perform that. But in addition to that, they asked us to play two other upbeat tracks. Which um, did you do? We did Unshakeable. Yeah. <laughs> and we did... Um, we're doing a mass at the moment. And, uh, You're doing a mass? Yeah, we played Kyrie from the mass. And um, afterwards, th- there was a huge crowd in, the, in Palacio de Portes, which is, again, it's like Wembley Arena, but in Spain. 
um, afterwards we were accosted by a group of teenagers who absolutely loved it and the organizer of EWT and says oh we wish there were more bands like you around um, so yeah I think people in America really get it um, but it's you know who knows I think I, we might just have to end there just because I wish there were more bands around like you. <laughs> but I think as there are, is you, I think whatever we can do to support you and where you're going, I think it's such a great cause of celebration. And I congratulate you. And I'm thrilled to bits that it looks like there's a lot to look forward to that's coming up. Thank you very much, Hal. Thank you very much for the time and the interview. Thank you. Totus to us for the most tip-top, top chat 